Good morning, my name's Ellis. I am one of the pastors here at Chapel Hill, and if you're new with us, if you're a guest, I want to say I'm really glad that you decided to come and join us today. I know that going to a church can be a scary endeavor, and so I'm really glad that you made the decision to come and be with us this morning. You join us at a great time. We began last week a new series, and this series is really doing a little bit of family business. So if you're new, you're going to get a chance to peek inside the curtain and see how we deal with things going on in our family. Pastor Mark kicked it off last week. The name of the series is You're Welcome. And if you are new, we want you to know you are welcome. But you'll notice that this is a very punny title and that actually what we're talking about over the rest of the month of November is our welcome. How is our welcome? Those who call Chapel Hill your home we're going to be asking you, how is your welcome? Last week, Pastor Mark introduced this idea of guerrilla greeters. He challenged a thousand of us to be guerrilla greeters. And I'll be honest, with Halloween coming up, this is where my mind went. I cannot believe they got Phil Collins to do that. <laughs> oh, of course, guerrilla greeters were not asking you to dress up in a gorilla suit and go around shaking people's hands. Guerrilla, as in guerrilla warfare, sneaky, undercover. That's what Pastor Mark challenged us, a thousand of us, to do last week. And the reason he challenged us and the reason we're doing this series this month is because the truth is that our welcome is not always the best. I heard a story in my life group a few years ago. If you don't know what a life group is, it's a a small group of people that get together regularly to help one another grow in their faith. If you're not a part of one, would love you to be a part of one. You can find out more at the Next Step Center after the service. Shameless plug over. In my life group, there was a man who told me a story about a time he had his brother and sister-in-law and their kids come and stay with them for the weekend. And his brother and sister-in-law don't normally go to church. And he was kind of going back and forth on what should I do? Should I invite them to come with us? Should we just skip church this weekend? I'm not quite sure. In the end, he landed on, you know what? I should invite them. Uh, it's more important that they get the invitation than uh, that I, I'm embarrassed or I fear something going on in our relationship. And the great news is they decided to come. So they came, and it was a a summer weekend, and their teenage daughter was dressed very appropriately for the weather outside, as any teenager would would dress. (laughs) Unfortunately, there was a, a woman who was probably a regular attender or a member of this congregation who saw this young girl in the lobby after the service, and she made an assumption about this young girl. She assumed that this young girl was a, was a church person, that she was a, a regular, that she should, she should know how to dress in church. And so then she did something that is incredibly shocking. She walked up to this young girl, pulled her aside, and said to her, you really should think more carefully about how you dress before you come next time. Sadly, I don't think there was a next time for this young girl. It is a shocking story, and I'm telling it to you because I I think there's something very important that we can learn from this. 
and that is that we make assumptions all the time about the people we see here on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. This woman made an assumption about that young girl that she was a church person, that she was a regular, a member, an insider. Now, even having made that assumption, her response, I think, was absolutely terrible, but I want to focus on the assumption and not the response, because I think very often we make the same assumption about people that we see here on a weekend. We make the assumption about people that we don't recognize, oh, they're probably just one of the other church people I don't recognize. Probably it goes a bit like this. You see someone, you're out in the lobby, you see someone looking a little bit lost or lonely, and you think, you notice that, you say to yourself, ah, I don't really recognize them, but to be honest, I don't really recognize most of the people here on the weekend, okay? And so I'm sure they're just looking for someone, they're meeting, so I'm sure they'll be fine. Or maybe you sit down in your row and you look along and there's someone new who you've never seen before in your row. And you say to yourself, well, I don't recognize them, but, you know, it's a big church, right? They probably just used to sit in the balcony. Well, you're walking in from the parking lot, and you're just behind someone, and you, you kind of see their face, and you're like, I know that face, I know, I, but I can't remember the name, and I don't know whether I know them from here or if it's from somewhere else. It's a small town. Everyone knows everyone. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to hang back, all right? I'm not going to get close to them because I don't want to be embarrassed by venturing out and forgetting their name. We make these assumptions about the people around us every weekend, and, and, and it's not a bad assumption to make, Right? of people here on a weekend are regular attenders. Most of the people that you see that you don't recognize are people who regularly come to Chapel Hill. But because we so often make that assumption about people we don't recognize, it has an impact upon our welcome to the 5% of people who are here as guests every weekend. That assumption has an impact upon our welcome. Now, the Bible has a number of themes running the whole way through it, but one of those themes is hospitality. From the beginning of the Bible until the very end, God's people are encouraged to show love, to show hospitality to those who are not presently a part of God's people. In the Old Testament, we see this. In in Leviticus, the people of God are, are commanded to treat foreigners as they would treat natives. In Isaiah, the prophet prophesies and tells the people of Israel that true worship is to give food to the hungry and shelter to the wanderer. And this theme of hospitality that's present in the Old Testament comes to the fore in the New Testament, the writings from after Jesus was born. Is said in the New Testament that it is a requirement for church leaders that they show hospitality. That's in 1 Timothy 
and in Titus. It's a requirement for church leaders, but it's an expectation for all. Peter, the early leader of the church, writes, and he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The letter to the Hebrews says this, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Get this, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I mean, how cool is that? You show hospitality to a stranger, and it turns out you were unaware that they were an angel. Now, just to clarify, we do believe in angels here at Chapel Hill, but we don't believe that every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. (laughs) As I was prepping this week, looking at all of the possible places I could go to talk about this theme that's, that's in the Scriptures, I felt called to one verse in particular. And you find this verse in the letter that Paul, one of those early church leaders, wrote to the first century church in Rome. We call that letter Romans. Many of you are familiar with it because we studied it last school year. And for, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, those of us who are, just a little recap. This letter's kind of got two halves to it. The first half, where Paul talks about the good news. He tells the church in Rome the good news about Jesus Christ. And this good news is that Jesus gave up his home in heaven, he gave up his own comfort, and he came to earth in the form of a man to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He died the death that we deserve to die so that we might live the life that he deserved to live. He made a way for us to be reunited with our Father in heaven so that we can go to his home. In many ways, the good news about Jesus is the ultimate story of hospitality, giving up our own comfort and making a way for someone outside to come to the inside, to be reunited with their father and return home. That's the first half of the letter to the Romans. And then in the second half, Paul turns around and he says, okay, given that this is true, it should change how we live. And here's how. He has a whole bunch of things that he says, but right in the middle of it are two words that I want to look at this morning. This is in Romans 12, 13. Those two words are pursue hospitality. Let's all say that together. Pursue hospitality. Now, I've been using that word hospitality, but I haven't necessarily defined it. When the Bible talks about hospitality, what it means is love directed towards those who are on the outside of our community. It is love directed towards those outside our family, outside our church, outside you name the community. And it is an action. It is something that we do to them, to invite them in, to welcome them in. Even in this verse, you kind of see this playoff. If I read the whole verse to you, it says, contribute to the needs of the saints, that is the, the insiders, so to speak, in the church, and pursue hospitality. That is to those who are not a part of our church community. We are to pursue hospitality towards them. Now, as I was studying this week, I got really fixated upon that one word, pursue. I started to ask myself, why did Paul use that word? Now, I know in some of your translations, it says something else. I went back to the original Greek like my seminary taught me to do, and I used my Greek tools, and I studied it and tried to figure out what it was, and I think a lot of translations don't use this word because it it doesn't really make sense. How do you pursue like a a thing? Like, it's, it's a concept. 
I, I mean, I get pursuing a person, right? I'm in a car chase. I'm pursuing them. I'm a, I'm a spy. I'm going after the bad guy, right? But how do you pursue a thing? And then I thought, you know what? I got it. It's just like this, Alice. It's like when you get in your car, you drive on 16 over the bridge, you deal with the mess that is the Nally Valley Interchange, you make your way to South 38th Street, and you get a deluxe spicy chicken sandwich with waffle fries and Chick-fil-A sauce. That's what it means to pursue a thing. Maybe not. So I started to ask myself, I don't quite get this, so why, why is Paul saying pursue hospitality? Why not just show hospitality, be hospitable, or don't neglect hospitality? Well, I need some help for this one, actually. I think, I think we, we can illustrate this well. Are there six people who'd be willing to come up here? Maybe just put your hand up. and um, Yeah, come on up. Come on up. Yes, three, four, more, more, more. I need two more. Or maybe one more, one more. Okay, seven is fine. Come on up, guys. Come on, Paul. Come on up. Okay. Let me stand in the middle where there's some light. Let me move this down here so that this is in the way. All right. So you seven represent the church, and you out there, you represent the world. All right? And I want you seven to show the world that you are a good church, all right? That you are united, that you are one. And so I want you to form a circle and hold hands. So will you do that? Form a circle and hold hands. Great. Now, this is interesting, okay? I didn't ask them to, but they chose to face inward. No, don't turn around. And and I want to suggest to you that very often when we come together as Christians and we form this community that we call the church, that we have this tendency to begin to look towards one another, take care of one another, love one another, serve one another, maybe even think alike and act alike and talk alike. And before long, we've become inwardly focused. And notice where they're at in relation to you, the world. Okay, they have their backs turned to you. I think Paul says pursue hospitality because the natural inclination of every church community is to turn themselves inwards, to love one another and take care of one another. And Paul says pursue because he knows that we need to be intentional about seeking this out. It will not happen naturally. Now, sometimes we think about hospitality and we think, yeah, we're going to pursue it. And this is how we do it. Excuse me, young man. I need you to turn around. Hold hands again, but face outwards. Okay. You are our welcome team. You are in charge of welcoming all of our guests. The rest of you, you just stay focusing on one another. Okay. Now, Paul doesn't write to the church in Rome and say, make sure you guys have a welcoming committee who are thinking about how best to welcome guests. Make sure you rotate through the welcome team on a regular basis and serve once a month. Now, these are good things. I'm glad we have a welcome team. I want us to have a welcome team. I want you to be a part of our welcome team and serve on our welcome team. But in this verse, Paul isn't saying that. He's outlining that this is not a calling for a select few, but this is a culture for all. Every single one of us is called to face outward 
Every single one of us is called to pursue hospitality. Yes, we're still holding hands. We're still one. We're still taking care of one another. We're still going through this thing called life together. But we are facing outwards towards the world so that we can show them the love that God has for them. Can you say thank you to these guys? You can head back. Pursue hospitality. Everyone say it again. Pursue hospitality. Do you know what else caught my attention about that word pursue? Because I did my study in the original Greek. Yeah. The tense of the word pursue. It is in the present tense. Now what that means for those of you who aren't familiar with Greek grammar is that this is not a one-time thing. This is not something you do once. You check off the list and you say, great, I served on Christmas Eve on the welcome team and I am done with hospitality for the year. (laughs) It is in the present tense. That means that we are called to pursue hospitality now and always. This is something that happens today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day until Jesus comes again or we die. That is what the present tense means. Paul is calling us to cultivate a culture of hospitality. And I could continue to hit you over the head with this for the next 10 minutes, which at times feels like what the New Testament does with the amount of scriptures there are about hospitality, but I recognize that that may not change your desires that may not impact the decision that I'm calling you to make this morning to pursue hospitality. And the reason is that hospitality is hard. Hospitality is hard because it is much easier to focus on ourselves than it is to focus on other people. It's much easier to come to church on a weekend and come in thinking, I wonder what God has for me today. It's much easier to come in thinking, I hope they sing my favorite song today. Much easier to come in thinking, I hope my favorite seat is available this morning. (laughs) We're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks, so (laughs) brace yourselves. Much easier to come in thinking, I hope my friends are going to be there. Hospitality is hard because it challenges our desire for personal comfort. Very often, I think we treat church like we treat the gym. We are, some of us, members of the gym because it provides us with access to goods and services that are for our benefit. And we pay a membership fee every single month so that they can employ someone to sit at the new member desk and take care of all the new members. And then when the gym gets busy, we get frustrated because we don't get our goods and services that we're paying for. When one of our favorite classes gets moved to a different time or canceled, we get frustrated because we're paying for these goods and services. 
When our favorite piece of equipment gets replaced with something newer that just doesn't work in the same way, we get frustrated because we're paying the gym to provide us with the goods and services we want. And sometimes we stop paying the gym and we go to another gym or we buy workout equipment at home. The church is not a gym. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple. Now, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he's the leader of Anglicans across the world, 85 million Christians who call themselves Anglicans. William Temple said this, the church exists for the well-being and fraternity of its non-members. The church exists for the sake of the mission of God to this world. The church exists for the sake of the mission of God to seek and save the lost. The mission of God to reconcile the world to himself in Christ Jesus. The church is not a gym that exists for the sake of its members. The church is the church. And it exists for the sake of the world. A world whom our God loves. Whom our God is reached out to in the person of Jesus and whom our God is calling us to do the very same thing. And every single one of us who calls ourselves a church member has been a beneficiary of that mission. When I was a teenager, I didn't attend church. I grew up in England, and we don't really have an equivalent term, but you probably would have referred to me in America as a jock. I played rugby, which incidentally is the sport they play in heaven. (laughs) Go Hawks. Just throw you a little piece of breadcrumb there. I lived for the weekend. I lived for the weekend to get out on the rugby field and smash some people up and then get out on the town and smash some beers up. That was my life. One, one weekend I was at a party at a place in the town I went to high school in, and this place was called the Hellfire Caves. They were like literal caves where this club called the Hellfire Club used to meet hundreds of years ago. And at this party in the Hellfire Caves, I got invited to church by a young girl named Emily. God has a sense of humor inviting me to church in the Hellfire Caves, all right? I said yes, I went. Two weeks later, I pulled into the parking lot of the church, turned off my car, and I remember sitting there, and all of a sudden, all the anxiety and fear about stepping into church came upon me. Oh my goodness, what am I doing? What if Emily's not there? Am I wearing the right clothes? What if I say something stupid? Oh. But before I knew it, I was already at the front door. Okay, funny how sometimes your body just takes over and it happens. I was given a bulletin on my way in, and I stepped in. Now, this church was a, was a medium-sized church by British standards. That means it had 40 people in it. <laughs> so I instantly could see who everyone was in the room, and I looked around, and I could not find Emily. And so, being honest, my first thought was, where's the loo? I could kill five minutes there. You guys call it a bathroom, but it doesn't have a bath in it. So, But as I was thinking that, and before I could turn around and find where it was, this young man came towards me, and my instant thought as he was coming towards me was, oh, 
No, because I recognized him. And it wasn't like a good recognition. It was, it was someone from my school who I really hadn't been that nice to. And I thought, oh my goodness, what is he going to say to me? And he bounds towards me, big grin on his face, puts his arm out, and he says, Alice, what are you doing here? Well, let's, let's dwell on the positives, all right? He, he, he welcomed me. He came towards me, okay? Put his hand out, big smile, right? I said, I got invited by Emily. He says, you know Emily? I said, yes. He said, that's great. There's a group of us who always sit together. We're over here. Come join us. I'll introduce you to them. And that began a transformation in my life. Perhaps the most significant transformation in my life. That church showed me what it was to be loved for who I am, not what I can do. That was the church that that gave me an opportunity to minister to others, gave me an opportunity to lead worship. That was the first church I ever got to preach in. And I stand here today preaching God's word because two people, Emily and Tim, who were not a part of a welcome team, who did not have the gift of hospitality, but two people who recognized that the church existed not for the sake of its members, but for the sake of its non-members. Two people who were willing to step out across the room, walk towards a particularly intimidating rugby player, and invite him and welcome him to church. Today, there are people in this room who were just like me 12 years ago. There are people in this room who have come to church this morning because they are seeking something more from their life. Just like I was. I couldn't find satisfaction and fulfillment in the world. I couldn't find it in success and in popularity. And I came to the church in the hope and the belief that the church had something to offer me that this world couldn't. And maybe you're here this morning, and that's you. Maybe it's not success and popularity that's failed you. Maybe it's something else that's failed you. But you're here this morning because you have this this whiff of hope that maybe there's something here. Something here. And I want you to know there is. There is a God who is in our midst who wants you to experience the love that he has for you. There is power Power in the members of this church because of the Holy Spirit living inside them. Power that can change you. It happened to me. And I've seen it happen again and again and again. So if you were here this morning and you were seeking that, please stick around. Come back. And those who call chapel who are your home, those people who I was just speaking to, they are your guests. They're not just my guests. They're not just our welcome team's guests. They are your guests. And you have the power, just like Emily and Tim had the power. You have the power by God at work within you to bring about a transformation in their life. So I want to challenge us, all of us, to do one thing every single weekend, every single time 
we come to church. And this one thing, and I'm challenging you, you regulars here, those who call Chapel Hill their home, the one thing I want to challenge you to do, it's going to seem really easy for some of you and really hard for others of you. So I think it's kind of right in the middle there at the sweet spot. This is what I want you to do. I want you to introduce yourself to one person every weekend. I want you to walk across the room to someone you don't know or you don't recognize, put out your hand and say, hi, I'm Ellis. I don't know if we've met before. What's your name? I want you to ask them, tell me about your family. Where are you from? What do you do? Get to know them. Yes, introverts, I'm asking you to make small talk. Hey? But if Jesus died on the cross for you, you can talk to another human being. So laugh all the extroverts in the room. And if you're worried about whether you should know this person's name because you think you might have met them before, and let me tell you it's a lot worse for me than it is for you, all right? I am expected to know everyone's name here, which is officially impossible. And this is a true story. I was at a memorial once, kind of out of context, and I did this to someone. I walked up to them, hi, I'm Alice. I don't know if we've met before. What's your name? And she said to me, we have met before. I sat in your office and told you my life story through tears. Yes, I was mortified, but if I can get through that, you can get through anything, okay? (laughs) Pursue hospitality. Everyone say it. Pursue hospitality. Every Saturday night, every Sunday morning, find one person and make one friend. Every week. One person doing that changed my life. Can you imagine the impact of a thousand people doing that every weekend? Can you imagine what would happen to the people who came in here seeking something and walk out of here believing that they are noticed, that they are loved, that they are cared for? Can you imagine the change that we could affect as a community if we were to do that? Pursue hospitality. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you pursued us that you didn't leave us floundering about in the depths of our own misery, dissatisfied with what this world had to offer. Thank you that, that you sent your son, Jesus, to come to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave up your comfort, your own glory, your own power, and you came to earth, humbled yourself for the sake of this world. Thank you that you took the punishment that we deserved. And God, we come to you today and we are sorry. We are sorry for when we have ignored those that you've been calling us to. We're sorry for when we've been fearful, for when we haven't stepped out. And we thank you that you have forgiven us in Jesus. And now we ask by the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that you would empower us and enliven us that we may step out boldly and pursue hospitality. And that we would do it as one, as one body. And that as we do it, they would know whose we are. And they would come to know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen.